Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Choice is what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I, I hate to admit it, but sometimes e- I-, I really lose track of, of of my stuff. You know, I don't mean my my physical stuff. I mean stuff involving me. You know, I, I I'm ashamed to say it because we in show business are supposed to be about all about ourselves. But it totally escaped me last week that uh, last week was the end of. The 32nd year and the beginning of the 33rd year of this broadcast, continuously pestering your ear holes. Uh, so I just wanted to note that for the record. Uh, it, you know, I did, the flowers and champagne didn't come anyway, but um, that's because I didn't send them. So here we go with year 33 of whatever this is. And what this is right now is a focus on our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. Ladies and gentlemen, you, I'm sure, are aware by this time that Saudi Arabia had an election. That in itself, rip out the, well, there isn't a front page anymore, but rip out uh, the, uh, the, top, the top of the thing on the, on the device. Saudi Arabia had an election, and they allowed women to vote. Uh, this was such big news it even it kicked Donald Trump off of a news cycle or two, and um, yeah, you know, it, it was just a, it wasn't for you know anybody who runs the country or anything. I don't know, you know, some some local garbage commissioner or something, but it was still an election, and uh, women were allowed to vote. the The thing is, they they still they weren't allowed to drive. So uh, how do you get to the polls? Well defined Saudi Arabian public trans no. Um, since it was averred by some observers that this was all a publicity stunt by the Saudis because they realized that their involvement in the little uh, little thing going on in uh, Yemen where they're bombing the out of the country um, was was not good PR and the German one of the high officials in the G- German government a week or two ago had gone public with fairly scathing criticism of Saudi of uh, Saudi foreign policy since the ascension of the or the accession accession, whatever you know you choose your own, of the uh, new king, uh, they needed a little good PR so they held an election, but as I say the women who were now allowed to vote weren't allowed to drive. Enter another entity that's looking for some good publicity, Uber, suspended their surge driving, surge pricing policy, to uh, give Saudi women free rides. To the polls now. I don't know. I didn't see in the story whether they required that the the drivers that were offered to the woman voters be women drivers. Oh, then they can't be. But then, how can a woman be in a car with a man who's not her? See, see what happens. See what happens when you t- just tug at one of the threads. Meanwhile, in the not so good publicity for the Saudis department, Sri Lanka is urging our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia, to pardon a domestic worker from Sri Lanka. She has been uh, convicted of adultery. Her uh, partner in the adultery, also a Sri Lankan migrant worker, was given a punishment of 100 lashes. She was sentenced to death because it's Saudi Arabia and they're free. So uh, 
The Sri Lankan government is asking for a pardon. A thousand Shia protesters gathered at a mosque in a largely Shia town to demand the release of other activists on death row. Officials were planning to execute more than 50 prisoners in a single day. That's getting her, that's getting her done. They include some alleged terrorists, but also at least five Shia protesters, including one who was only 17 years old when arrested three years ago. They took part in anti-government protests against Sunni oppression of the Shia minority and our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the godly. Pedophile priests working at dioceses across Australia were recognized as ticking time bombs at a 1992 meeting of a special bishops committee. That, that came out this week when the chairman of that committee testified to the commission they've got down there, in Australia, I mean, into institutional responses to child sexual abuse. Bishop Peter Connors, then an auxiliary bishop to the Archbishop of Melbourne, Archbishop Little, was asked about minutes of the committee meeting, referring to a serious time bomb ticking away in a number of dioceses. The reference to time bombs can only be understood as a reference to dioceses where there were priests operating who had serious allegations against them or where the church had accepted were sexual offenders. That was the question. The answer, that would certainly be the case. I think, particularly in the Diocese of Ballarat, a big time bomb was ticking away there. And uh, he also said that would have been the case in Melbourne. More news of the godly from down under, and I mean Australia. Police will apologize and pay compensation to a former detective whose investigation into child abuse allegations against the Catholic priest were stymied by senior police officials. The police and church protected pedophile Monsignor John Day, thwarting an investigation about 40 years ago by policeman Dennis Ryan. That sex abuse commission has heard. A lot of... Lot of a lot of dirty laundry being aired in Australia. And a former St. Patrick's College student, I think that is down there as well, in Australia, has told the, the inquiry of a culture of depraved sexual abuse and brutality which existed inside that school during the 1970s. Uh, that was, yes, they brought commission into institutional responses to child sexual abuse, heard from a victim. He attempted to seek help from the Catholic Church after his younger brother was brutally bashed and molested by a disgraced brother, Christian brother, I believe. His evidence sparked more allegations about the uh, cardinal's intricate knowledge of abuse at the school. Uh, the cardinal became angry and yelled at me, said the, te- uh, the abuse victim. Young man, how dare you knock on this door and make demands? Uh, the victim told the inquiry how the priest would often, quote, hover, unquote, over the boys while they slept and fonder their private parts under their blankets. He said the Christian brothers would often watch the boys showering and say smutty things. Um, And they would have done more, I think, the church would have done more about that, but they needed the wine. Hello, welcome to the show. Buy me an Xbox and feed me some licorice. Tie me in tinsel and sing at my door. Buy me the latest, the greatest in everything Drown me in chocolate, well who could want more? But the best things, yes the best things They come at no price, yes they're free and they're nicest It's what you remember in spite of the glitter And the best thing, yes the best thing The best thing this Christmas 
Christmas is you From New Orleans, Louisiana, I'm Harry Shearer. We welcome you to this edition of the show. The show, Thir- the year 33. Can't wait till we get to year 33 and a third. The uh, music you just heard was um, part of what you hear, what one all uh, would have already heard at uh, Christmas Without Tears. Um, thanks to all the folks in New York and Chicago where the shows uh, already happened. But uh, next Saturday and Sunday in Los Angeles at the Largo. Uh, our annual Christmas thing, charity thing. Um, just just a, a, a few of the people who are going to be there on Saturday, Peter Asher, Julia Fordham, Jane Lynch, Jill Sobule on Sunday, some of the same folks, uh, and also Fred Willard. So a lot of, but way, 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 way more than that. I just don't, you know, I only got an hour here, folks. Um, but it's at the Largo on La Cienega, and it's all for charity, and it's fun, and it's a thing. Now, uh, one more news of the godly, which I missed, except I didn't. I just hid it. The Vatican has told Catholics they should not seek to convert Jews. It is seen as a new Vatican attempt to distance itself from centuries of Christian-Jewish tension and prejudice. It's not a doctrinal text, but a, quote, stimulus for the future, says the Vatican. It was written on by the Vatican's Commission for Religious Relations with the Jews. The Catholic Church neither conducts nor supports any specific institutional mission work directed towards Jews. Judaism is not to be considered simply as another religion. The Jews are instead our elder brothers. (laughs) In the presence of Jews, Catholics should express their faith in a humble and sensitive manner, acknowledging the Jews are bearers of God's word and particularly... Turning to the vexed question of salvation, the document says that the Jews are participants in God's salvation is theologically unquestionable, but how that can be possible without confessing Christ explicitly is and remains an unfathomable divine mystery, unquote. Here's the godly. (laughs) Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, 
News from outside the bubble. Well, you may not have heard this. It is outside of the bubble after all. Remember that uh, U.S. airstrike on a Doctors Without Borders hospital in Kunduz, Afghanistan? According to The Guardian, the death toll has now risen to 42 from a previous total of 30. This comes after two months of investigations into the airstrikes. The revised figure includes 14 Doctors Without Borders staff who were killed, as well as 24 patients and four people who were caretakers, providing additional nursing care for the patients. Patient files and medical records were destroyed in the fire that followed the missile strikes. The charity said extensive efforts have been made to identify those who died. General John Campbell, a U.S. commander in Afghanistan, said last month the strike was caused primarily by human error. But uh, Doctors Without Borders is asking for an international human- an inquiry by the International Humanitarian Fact-Finding Commission. This the Guardian describes as an independent body that was created under international law but has never been used. Tells you all you need to know about the species we're in, ladies and gentlemen. From the Mail on Sunday, which I would almost never quote, except they have a long interview with the last UK citizen held in Guantanamo Bay. Shakir Amar makes a series of new claims. Despite his imminent freedom, he's about to be released after 14 years. He says he's still being subjected to brutal physical abuse by his captors. He's on hunger strike in protest and an assault by guards who he says forced him to give blood samples. He's provided an eyewitness account of the torture of a detainee, Mr. Alibi, whose false confession, he's the guy who said Saddam Hussein had WMDs, paved the way for the invasion of Iraq. That's all. He's, uh, most of his torment came at Bagram, the other Guantanamo, in Afghanistan, where uh, the worst of the worst of the worst were held. Prince uh, Alawad bin Talal, a billionaire Saudi prince, says Donald Trump, uh uh-oh, have to say that word, is a disgrace to his country. You are a disgrace not only to the GOP, but to all America, said Prince Alawid. Alawid. Um, he owns a yacht once called the Trump Princess, which he bought in the early 90s after it was ceded to creditors. Is that a nice way of saying Trump couldn't pay the uh, lease on the, on the boat? I don't know. A few years later, he took a stake in the Plaza Hotel, once one of Trump's favorite hotels. I love it, and they love me. I mean, that hotel loves me. In an apparent response to Trump's widely condemned plan to bar Muslims from entering the United States, Prince Al-Walid called on Trump to drop out of, out of the presidential race. That's going to happen. You will never win, said Prince Al-Walid. Trump, that was, on, that was on Twitter. This all takes place on Twitter now. Trump responded, Dopey Prince Al-Walid wants to control our U.S. politicians with daddy's money. Can't do it when I get elected. Critics were quick to point out Donald Trump in himself inherited the real estate empire created by his father. But, you know, that's that, that's just media facts. Prince Alwaleed, by the way, what does he own, aside from having owned the Princess Trump, Twitter, Citigroup, Four Seasons Hotels, as well as uh, the, the uh, Hotel Georges Sank in Paris. I thought he could swim. 
and a stake in the Savoy Hotel in London. Um, in case you remember that Prince Al-Walid had a hefty stake in Nice Corp, they announced earlier this year they had sold that most of that stake in the first half of the previous year, this according to Forbes. That's, that's the dopey prince. News from outside the bubble, ladies and gentlemen. It is a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, for your very own listening pleasure. News of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole, Jr. Well, it, it finally seems to have occurred to the guys who are in the Olympics that uh, things in Brazil are challenging. The political and economic turmoil in Brazil will inevitably affect next year's Olympics in Rio, according to a senior international Olympic official. With the opening ceremony less than eight months away, Brazil is dealing with a severe recession, impeachment proceedings against the president, and a massive corruption scandal involving the state-run oil company Petrobras. They have political and economic difficulties, said the IOC vice president, Craig Reedy. Inevitably, they will affect the games. There are challenges. I think they and we will have to get through it, unquote. Brazil's economy was booming when Rio was awarded the Games in 2009. The country is now in its worst recession since the 1920s. The Real has lost a third of its value this year alone. Gross domestic product has tumbled. Unemployment has soared to 8%. Rio organizers are trying to cut $530 million, almost 30% from their operating budget for the Olympics. Rio officials say most of the cuts involve behind-the-scenes facilities. I think the most important thing is that nothing is affected for the athletes, says Rio's organizing chief, Carlo Nuzman. The IOC is separately discussing what steps it can take to reduce the spending in Rio, including possible reduction in food services, burgers, everybody, transportation, and seating for Olympic officials. No bailout is being considered, which means, of course, a bailout is being considered. Olympic officials might have to take the bus? Yeah. Get me, get, make sure you Instagram that if it happens. Calls for a referendum on Budapest's bid to host the 2024 Olympic Games are gathering pace in Hungary, following reports suggesting a public vote will be held. You know that Hamburg in Germany rejected the, the bid for the 2024 Olympics in a plebiscite just recently. And the 2016 Olympics in Rio, back to Rio, have prompted widespread violations of children's rights and other civil liberties, liberties, according to a new dossier of alleged abuses compiled by academics and non-governmental institutions. Evictions, police violence, and poor labor conditions top a long list of problems linked to next year's games in Rio, claimed the coalition of activists led by the Comité Popular, who are calling on the IOC to pay greater heed to human rights. Their report claims at least 4,100 families have lost their homes and another 2,400 are threatened with removal as a result of infrastructure projects associated with the World Cup and the Olympics. As a result, they say thousands of children have been displaced and left at least temporarily unable to access education, health care, and other social services. The Rio City government disputes the allegations. The uh, dossier claims other youths have been the victims of an uptick in police and army violence. 
as a result of a struggling pacification program of the, of the favelas, the slums, part of the city's efforts to prepare for mega events. Some have been shot and killed, many wounded, countless others scarred by gunfights and tension. The report cites earlier studies by Brunel University, which found that risks of child exploitation increased during previous mega sporting events, such as the World Cup. But this is the Olympics. It's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are learning, as you know, more and more about the uh, two people, Miss Malik and Mr. Farouk, the uh, two persons who opened fire in San Bernardino recently and uh, killed 14. I believe that's the accurate number. I'm doing it from memory. I've been doing it from memory for 32 years. Come on now. Um, but we are learning more and more including the fact that uh, the next-door neighbor uh, was involved, at least we know, in um, procuring a couple of AK-47s that uh, the couple used in their shootout, shootout in their massacre. Uh, we're also learning that uh, Miss Malik had, um, well, they both had radicalized as early as 2012, long before the recent uh, uh, success, shall we say, of Islamic State in glomming onto some territory. Um, and that uh, a lot of that was, if not all of it, was out in the open, their discussion of jihad as they courted each other uh, online, or at least discussed that with each other. Which, again, this is more information like the cell phone found in the trash after the Paris massacres that uh, had in clean in clear text on it a message a, a text message operation begins now um, more and more we're finding as as the uh, officials paw through the material in their possession that all of this stuff was on the public internet unencrypted so um, it it doesn't do all that much to um, buck up the assertions by our intelligence chiefs as they now complain, oh, the encryption is killing us. We're going dark. The fact of the matter, as we hear more of these revelations about both the Paris killers and uh, the San Bernardino killers, is we knew an awful lot of stuff, or we had an awful lot of stuff, or an awful lot of stuff was available to U.S. to uh, officials both in the U.S. and abroad. But the problem is, uh, not knowing who these people were, they didn't know to look for this stuff. It was available. The problem appears to be, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we can't find the needle in the haystack, so government officials are asking for a slightly larger haystack. Anyway, we learn more and more each day about Ms. Malik and Mr. Farouk. It's as if their life was scripted, their chants were unencrypted. 
they still got through. Malik and Farouk, to them it didn't seem odd. They fell in love with jihad in old San Farouk and Malik, they would barely speak. All you saw were her eyes as they self-radicalize. Female modesties serve best by a suicide vest. Farouk and Malik, he'd work through the week. Then they'd have a menage building bombs in the garage, fixing up a killing spree. And baby makes three. Just two crazy kids watching violent vids, a coupling of freaks, and maybe a spook. Malik and Farouk Malik and Farouk began before ISIS started Now that they're departed We can question their vow Malik and Farouk more primitive than sturgeons What's she gonna do with all those virgins That she's got now? No one ever tells you What it's like to love and lose how it feels to waken and have breakfast with the blues How to go on living How to face another day No one ever tells you the way No one ever tells you How it feels to walk alone Listening for those footsteps through the echo of your own. Suddenly it hits you, all those dreams weren't worth a dime. Cause no one ever tells you in time. Long before the icy winds of winter. Autumn tells the swallows time to fly Why did she pretend Till the bitter end Till it broke my heart to say goodbye No one ever tells you That it's just another fling no one ever warns you when your heart begins to sing. Someone tells you later all is fair in love and war. But no one ever tells you before. 
tells you that it's just another fling No one ever warns you when your heart begins to sing Someone tells you later all is fair in love and Tells you before it never comes easy. No one ever tells you before. From New Orleans, this is Le Show, and now, ladies and gentlemen. News of the warm, won't you? I think you will. You always have. Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. Well, who's going to... Now, of course, news of the warm on the weekend where the uh, big... Paris conference agreed on a binding but not so binding agreement to reduce or to not increase or to just keep uh, greenhouse gases. So some news of the warm. Uh, Apropos, Lawrence Livermore, first of all, is the rain going to help? A couple of different versions of that. Lawrence Livermore, researchers and collaborators have found that most climate models overestimate the increase in global precipitation due to climate change. The team looked at 25 models, found they uh, underestimate the increase in absorption of sunlight by water vapor as the atmosphere becomes moister and therefore overestimate increases in global precipitation. They found global precipitation increase per degree of global warming at the end of of this century may be about 40% smaller than what the models currently predict. This is in the current issue of Nature. I read it for the ads. Meanwhile, while global plant growth, you know, more rain, more plants, global plant growth has increased slightly during the past 30 years. Researchers at the University of Montana, what would they know about rainfall in Montana? Well, anyway, found it hasn't increased as much as some scientists predict. They study the relationship between atmospheric carbon dioxide from human emissions and corresponding growth in plant life, comparing their results with existing models. This is in Nature Climate Change, which I read for the pictures. Carbon dioxide enhances plant growth, of course. Plants absorb atmospheric CO2. The co-authors compared measurements of plant productivity estimated by models with those measured by satellites. They conclude the current models unrealistically overpredict the ability of plants to offset growing greenhouse gas emissions suggesting the Earth's capacity to take up future carbon dioxide emissions through plants may be less than previously thought. Plant growth may not bias as much time as expected, said one of the co-authors. They identify two important factors that could drive the divergence between the satellite-based results and model predicted results, the availability of water and availability of nutrients. Satellite data indicate warmer climate conditions resulting from rising CO2 may increased stress in plant water. That is to say, I don't think water experiences stress. Don't, don't, don't get them wrong in uh, the availability of water for plants. 
counteracting any positive effect of carbon dioxide. Additionally, limited availability of nitrogen and phosphorus in the environment also could limit the ability of plants to soak up the additional CO2. So please, please give to your local phosphorus fund now, won't you? Tropical groundwater may prove to be a climate-resilient source of fresh water in the tropics, though, as intense rainfall favors the replenishment of these resources, according to a new study in environmental research letters. The predictions and observations show global warming leads to fewer but more intense rainfalls. This uh, may be a clearer understanding of how these sources are replenished. That would be crucial for developing strategies for groundwater usage. Uh, since we're pumping out a lot of groundwater around the around the world, a couple of uh, scientists from uh, University of College London and the University of Calgary assessed the chemical signatures in precipitation and groundwater at 15 sites across the tropics by comparing the stable isotopes, follow with me now, kids, of oxygen and hydrogen in water molecules from precipitation and groundwater, they found that groundwater recharge occurs disproportionately from heavy rainfalls, meaning the heavier the rainfall, the more the water becomes added to the groundwater resource. That would be good news. Our results suggest the intense rainfall brought about by global warming strongly favors the renewal of groundwater resources. As ever, half the world's population is predicted to live in the tropics by 2050. Well, why not? It's nice. Dependence on groundwater as a resource will continue to rise, says one of the authors. And the impact of climate change may appear to be overwhelmingly negative. There is a bright spot for those who struggle to find enough time in the day. Melting glaciers are causing the rotation of the earth to slow, thereby lengthening our days. More time slots. Harvard University researchers have provided an answer to, well, it always, our days always seemed longer when I was at Harvard. Harvard University researchers have provided an answer to long-held, long-held conundrum. How do you hold a conundrum, ladies and gentlemen? I think uh, probably needle-nose pliers would do it. Over how shrinking glaciers are affecting the rotation and axis of the Earth, calculating that the duration of a day has lengthened by a millisecond over the past hundred years. Use it wisely. Don't waste Don't waste it. The brakes will be more sharply applied to the Earth's rotation as glaciers melt at an ever faster rate, meaning at least five milliseconds will be added to each day over the course of this century. The axis of the Earth will shift too. The North Pole is set to move position by about 0.4 inches during the century. So if you're planning a trip to the North Pole, plan accordingly. The research is published in Science Advances. I subscribe to Science Retreats, but, you know, that's a personal choice. Uh, this solved a puzzle known as Monk's Enigma, which is, uh, comes from a paper by oceanographer Walter Monk examining how the melting of glaciers had altered the Earth's rotation and axis. So, longer days, but you'll, you, you won't notice it. News of the warm, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Well, in the welter of all the news, you may have uh, missed a rather surprising ceremony in Emancipation Hall in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., a few days ago, where, uh, and that's a hall where the busts of all the vice presidents of the United States are displayed. And at this particular ceremony, one was added to the group, that of former Vice President Dick Cheney, 
who uh, felt free enough to travel, that he made the trip to Washington, D.C. for the occasion, um, accompanied by his family, a lot of dignitaries. And surprisingly enough, current Vice President Joe Biden, who said of Cheney, quote, the way you have conducted yourself is a model for anyone in high public office, unquote. He also said, it may come to it as a surprise, but I like Dick Cheney. Joe Biden said that. Uh, according to Roll Call magazine, the bust of Cheney cost you and me approximately $50,000. I got that on me. But it still was uh, a bit of a puzzle as to with the... Now, I don't think I'm alone in observing that uh, Vice President Cheney is still not... Uh, I don't think they've allocated him a speaking role at the next Republican convention, let's put it that way. When he left office, his uh, approval rate in public opinion polls was 13%. So I just, you know, one could wonder how this ceremony came about. Um, for the answer, of course, you have to go underground. Next, intimate tales of America's former underground vice president. The action-packed diary of the man who was just an enhanced heartbeat away from history. Dick Cheney, confidential. 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 After a long time out in the cold, literally, as I get older, Wyoming seems to get colder than a starlet's mom, I was beginning to get that warm, secure, undisclosed feeling again. That sense of unity and patriotism and defiance that we last were able to engineer in the great old post-9-11 days, it was back again, thanks to a terrorist crowd so fear-inducing they make Al-Qaeda look tamer and more depleted than a Rush Limbaugh fan cruise. In fact, the post-Paris and post-San Bernardino mood in the country had gotten so bracing, I'd been able to come out to the left of somebody. Specifically, I re-emerged from the woods to attack Donald Trump as un-American. I know this might seem a little ungrateful, since the man had only recently given a big endorsement to some of the enhanced techniques I'd had a hand in handing over to our hand-picked enhanced interrogators. Heck, even the hand-picking was enhanced. But denouncing Trump as un-American put me back in my comfort zone. The place where I get to define what is and what isn't American. Losing a billionaire's fickle friendship is a small price to pay for that. I had started coming up for my occasional sip of public oxygen a few days earlier at a ceremony at the Capitol's Emancipation Hall. A ceremony that almost didn't happen. Until, that is, I paid a secure and undisclosed visit to the Senate Majority Leader, a pillar of my party from the almost great state of Kentucky, Mitch McConnell. Unlike most of his visitors, I wasn't just asking him to do something. I was going to twist his arm so hard he could get work as John McCain's stunt double. Tuesday, December 1st, 2.30 p.m. Well, Mr. Vice President, it must seem uh, a little bit like old times being back here under the dome. Uh, care for some fine Kentucky bourbon? Uh, no thanks. To get that new heart, I had to sign a covenant regarding drinking. Oh, you, you can't drink at all? Only Tennessee whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Old joke. Well, to this heart, it's new. I suppose so. Mm. 
Well, sir, I've got uh, some good news and some uh, not-so-good news for you. Oh, even my heart knows that's an old joke. <laughs> that may be, sir. Uh, the good news is that, in accordance with Senate tradition, mm -hmm. uh, you've been the subject of a sculpted bust, which is now complete. Yeah, I heard. And it, it, it looked great. <laughs> I find that kind of hard to believe. Well... I never was one of the pretty boys. Last time I had a good photograph taken, I was still wearing diapers. I, I thought you'd taken care of that problem. What's the not-so-good news? Well, sir, it, it's not going to be located uh, in exactly the same place as the uh, other vice presidential busts. Not exactly the same place. Not not literally the same place. But Bitch, you know I like you. Hmm? And that's your first mistake. Now, suppose you just tell me where my bust is going to be Located, Yes, sir, Mr. Vice President. Uh, there's a quite lovely ante room in the basement of the Capitol just on the way to the subway station. Everybody goes through it if they're taking the metro and they have to go to the bathroom while they're down there, mm -hmm. which our people tell us is a great number of passengers do mm -hmm. that uh, either before or after. <laughs> that was a, a Churchill Down Centennial bourbon glass. Yeah. Too bad about that. Mm -hmm. You can probably sell the shards on eBay. Well, Look, Mr. Majority Leader, let's just remember one thing here. I wasn't just the vice president of the friggin' United States. I was the most powerful and consequential vice president since Burr killed Hamilton. My bus is not going to be sitting in a toilet alcove, not even the Senate one. My predecessors in marble are not going to be looking down on me. Well, sir, no one understands how you feel more than I do. I seriously doubt that. You took control of the Senate pledging to govern. You can't even get your own caucus to use the same cat box. I took a nothing burger job and used it to run two wars and set up a complete secret surveillance apparatus. How could you possibly know how I feel? Well, my wife tells me I have a rather vivid imagination. Look, Mitch... Imagine this, mm -hmm. because it's what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. The bust will be unveiled at a big ceremony in the same hall where all the other VP busts are. You'll be there. George W. will be there. Well, and how in all honesty, Mr. Vice President, how are you going to get him to do that? Seven years ago, you were sitting in this very office bad-mouthing him as a gutless, dry drunk for not pardoning Scooter Libby. Well, Mitch, I guess that was your big mistake. What's that, sir? Unlike me, you weren't recording your conversations. But now that you mention him, Scooter's going to be at the ceremony, too. In fact, according to a little seating plan Linda's drawn up, he'll be right next to George W. Should be a fine old time. Mr. Vice President, I, I hope I can talk as candidly to you as you talk to me. In case you haven't noticed, Mitch, I'm not in the hope business. But go ahead. Your name is about as toxic around here as it is in the rest of the country. You're asking me to spend political capital I don't have to convince senators who are already scared spitless about the Trump effect on the party that they should recouple themselves in the minds of the voters of the man who left office with a 13% approval rating. Frankly, sir, I think you're lucky to just be getting a bust no matter where it's sitting, with all due respect. Well, with all due respect, right back. <laughs> I think you'll find in the new post-9-11 environment 2.0, oh, 
My place in the voters' esteem is rising again. But here's what you tell your members, Mr. Majority Leader. Mm -hmm. When I vetted half the party as possible vice presidents for George W., I had them complete very intrusive questionnaires. As in, very intrusive. Mm. Most of that information has never become public. And if a certain bust takes its place of honor in the building, that information never will. You can share that with your flock, Mr. Leader. And I wouldn't anticipate a peep of a problem. Well, if you don't mind, Mr. Vice President, I'm going to have a little bourbon here. Oh, and one more thing. Mm -hmm. While I'm settling accounts here, let's you and me make sure the current president of the Senate makes some appropriately sycophantic remarks at the event. The vice president? Mm -hmm. Exactly how am I? Just send him a message from his predecessor. Convey my condolences over the loss of his son, Bo. Okay. And tell him that I certainly hope nothing happens to his other son. At least, not at the hands of SEAL Team 7. SEAL Team 7? Mm. I've never heard of that. Play your cards right, and you never will. After solving the little matter of Mr. Senate Majority Leader, all I can say is, I feel absolutely emancipated. And a partial diary for early December 2015. Sincerely yours, Dick Cheney. Confidential. 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 took a trip on a train and I thought about you I passed a shadowy lane and I thought about you two or three cars parked under the stars a winding stream moon shining down on some little town with each beam the same old dream and every stop that we made oh I thought about you and when I pulled down the shade then I really felt blue I peeked through the crack and looked at the track the one going back to what did I do? I thought about you. There were two or three cars parked under the stars. Winding stream Moon shining down on Some little town And with each beam The same old dream
And I looked at that track One going back to you And what did I do? I thought about you Just the show's way of celebrating the 100th birth, 100th anniversary of the birth of Frank Sinatra. No New York, New York, no, that's life, no, my way, just, and now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. Don't thank me. Deadline Chicago, more than a thousand protesters marched through downtown Chicago for nearly six hours this week, calling for the removal of Mayor Rahm Emanuel, following Emanuel's special address to the city council in the morning. In that address, he apologized for systemic police misconduct brought to national attention more than two weeks ago when charges were brought against a Chicago police officer who fatally shot a teenager in October 2014. If we're going to fix it, I want you to understand it's my responsibility with you, but if we're going to begin the healing process, the first step in that journey is my step, and I'm sorry, Emmanuel said during his 40-minute speech. What is he, Castro? Over the last two weeks, the public outcry for police reform has resulted in an investigation of the department by the Department of Justice of the United States government, the resignation of the superintendent of police, and intensive pressure on Emmanuel to show he takes reform measures seriously in the light of continuing cases. But he's sorry. The president of George Washington University has personally apologized to a student whom campus police had written up for violating school policy by flying a flag outside of his dorm window. The student at first believed he was being discriminated against because the flag he'd been flying was the Palestinian flag. University President Stephen Knapp wrote in a statement to the university community this week that he apologized to Rami Abunaja, a junior biomedical engineering major from Exeter, New Hampshire, who received an official warning letter from campus police flying the flag outside of his Shankman Hall dorm window. That's right, I said Shankman Hall. So close. Tap might have played there. In an interview, Abu Naja confirmed he spoke on the phone with the university president, noting the university leader was sympathetic. The incident was a result of misunderstanding, Knapp said. University policy prohibits flying any banners or flags from dorm windows for safety reasons. The police officer had no idea what kind of flag this was and that Abu Naja complied when asked to remove it. The founder of Chipotle and the co-executive officer Steve Ells this week fell ill. No, sorry. He apologized to patrons who fell ill after eating at the company's restaurants and pledged that sweeping new food safety practices, well, sweeping would be a good new safety practice, I guess, will prevent such outbreaks in the future. Sweeping, mopping, whatever you got. This was a very unfortunate incident, and I'm deeply sorry that this happened, he says. But the procedures we're putting in place today are so above industry norms, we're going to be the safest place to eat, Ells said on the Today program. Which makes you wonder about industry norms. Or the norms, the, the norms at norms. His comments come a day after local health officials reported that 80 people had been sickened by a norovirus linked to a Chipotle Mexican grill restaurant in Boston, the latest wave of patrons who've fallen ill on the heels of another outbreak in the northeastern, sorry, northwestern United States. The finding appears separate from a spate of E. coli infections. E. coli travels in spates. In recent months, it has sickened 52 people in nine states and forced the company to temporarily close some locations. The chain has been under scrutiny since November when health officials first linked it to the E. coli coli outbreak. Are E. coli bacteria that are connected to the Internet? 
Those would be I coli, I guess. Goodwill Industries had had to apologize when their newsletter trying to teach supervisors how to react to situations in the workplace had a repeated image of Kanye West's inexpressive face over emotions like sad and concerned with the headline, Do You Suffer From Resting Kanye Face? Goodwill told TMZ they were attempting to be relatable by using Kanye's image in a play on the much more workplace inappropriate term, resting bitch face. They suggested that supervisors work against their tendency towards that by smiling on occasion, keeping your head up and staying positive. We'd like to apologize to Kanye West, his fans, and the community for the use of his image to illustrate an internal training message. It was unacceptable, and Goodwill takes full responsibility for this action and meant no disrespect to Kanye. Can you? Is it possible to disrespect? Well, yes, I guess it is. But be fair now. Be fair. Play, play, play nice. Deadline New York. IBM's Hack a Hairdryer campaign has backfired. The company apologized this week for what some call a sexist and patronizing series of ads, and the marketing push has ended. Hack a hairdryer was hairdryer was a concept designed to encourage girls to dissolve the stigma that STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math jobs, are just for men, not to be confused with the hair care product. But to get its point across, IBM created an almost two-minute-long video centered around hair dryers, which essentially perpetrated another stereotype. Less than three in ten in science and engineering jobs are held by women. The video began. That's weird because innovation doesn't know what you look like. Innovation doesn't care where you're from. The rest of the ad is filled with scenes where girls use hair dryers for science fair-esque projects. At the same time, a narrator uses language like blow away the misperception and blast through the bias. The video gained attention this week. IBM removed the YouTube and Facebook videos and related social media posts after outcry erupted online. IBM, I'd rather build satellites instead, said a rocket scientist, a female rocket scientist. Another one, Kathy Newman, a biology PhD, says, I, I mess around with salamander DNA sequences, not hair dryers. The videos uh, were part of a larger campaign to promote STEM careers, said an IBM spokeswoman. It missed the mark for some, and we apologize. It is being discontinued. And Dateline, Northeast Philadelphia. They still have radio in Philadelphia. It's a beloved Christmas decoration that's brought joy to children in, in the neighborhood for years, but the popular Christmas tree display on Oak Drive, handcrafted with 2,400 lights and standing 22 feet fall, tall, is now sitting in shreds at a tra- trash yard. A city recycling truck was seen in a video ripping down the tree, backing up into it a few times, damaging it, and then tossing the remains in the trash. In the Facebook post accompanying the video, the narration says the driver steers right into the island to ensure maximum destruction. Another neighbor chased down the truck but says the driver denied any responsibility. Neighbors filed a complaint with the Sanitation Streets Department. Supervisors took a look at the surveillance video. Chief of Operations visited a local television station, and apologized, calling the incident an unfortunate incident. If you look at the tape, it wasn't intentional. It was just a guy trying to collect the trash, and the decorations were lower than the height of the truck. The guys tried to correct the mistake. They didn't report it timely, and I apologize for that. I should apologize for thinking that the word timely is an adverb, sir. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe, the USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ The Planet, on the mighty 104 in Berlin, around the world via the Internet, at two different locations, live and archived, whenever you want it, harryshare.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com. Available as a free podcast at Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and WWNO.org. And it'd be just like not going dark. If you would agree to join with me then, would you? Already, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Typical show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Exile and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson here at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. Just one more reminder, Christmas Without Tears. The song you heard earlier is part of a Christmas Without Tears EP. All proceeds go to the Elton John AIDS Foundation. And uh, Christmas Without Tears, the live show in Los Angeles at the Largo next Saturday and Sunday, 8 p.m., and then coming here to New Orleans on the 23rd at Le Petit Theater in the French Quarter with a whole New Orleans cast. Also, benefit. All, it's all benefit. It's all charity. And those of you who aren't anywhere near Los Angeles or New Orleans, as I say, the, the uh, EP contains, among other things, some music and Fred Willard telling the true story of Christmas. Oh, and me. Thank you for asking. I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station for the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from New Orleans.